Welcome to Emergence Radio Talk, where you'll be inspired and motivated by the journeys of movers and shakers from all around the world and those who are occupying and taking dominion. Emergence Radio Talk with Dr. Tavara Johnson. Welcome, everyone, to Emergence Radio Talk with your host, none other than Dr. Tavara Johnson. And if you know me, you know I'm always excited for today's show. Today I have a special guest, and he will be sharing some of his leadership journey, and I'm truly grateful for him taking time out of his busy schedule just to be able to come on and motivate as well as inspire all of our leaders today. I want to welcome Corey Williams to the show, and indeed, it's a pleasure to have you here with me this evening. Thank you so much for having me and looking forward to our conversation on today. Awesome. Thank you so much. But, of course, before we get started, I want you to share with our listening audience just a little bit of who Corey Williams is and what are some of the things that you do. Okay, sure. Who is Corey Williams and what are some of the things I do? I don't know if that's a good question or not. <laughs> well, um, I live in, I actually live in Savannah, Georgia now with my wife, and I normally would say our kids, but I am officially an empty nester now. And so my wife and I live here in Savannah, Georgia. We pastor a church called Hope City Church. I've been here now about 10 years um, that we launched Hope City Church. God has done some amazing things through the ministry here. I hope to get a chance to share some of that once we begin to go further into the conversation. But I'm also a coach, speaker, and trainer with the John Maxwell Leadership Team, uh, which gives me an opportunity to do a lot of executive coaching with a lot of organizations, which I, I, I greatly love doing. Uh, one, one fun fact about me to know is I stuttered till I was about the age of 20 years old. You, I I literally could not get maybe two or three words out clear. So I was a very severe stutterer. But when I lost my stutter about the age of 20, 20 years old, uh, at that point you could no longer shut me up because I felt like I had so many years to make up for. And now every chance I get to speak, whether it's here locally in the States or even the opportunity to go international, um, it, it is a great pleasure of mine to have organizations uh, take their barricades and turn them into bridges. Wow, that is amazing. You talked about, um, you know, stuttering. And I guess another thing I want to ask you, for persons who may say, you know what, I want to speak, or they don't have the confidence to speak simply because they feel that they have a speech impediment, um, what are some of the things that they can do to build that confidence level? Learn even stop stuttering. It's like, you know, we're, we're talking now and you don't have that. Um, and so what are some of the things that they can do to possibly even get rid of it or even if it doesn't, or even if they're not able to, they're still able to still speak, like have that confidence to speak? Yeah, that's a good question. So for for me, um, context for my particular situation is uh, I'm a person of faith. Um, I don't push my faith on individuals unless they ask about my faith, so I definitely lean fast forward for it in that way. But when it comes to my context of me losing my stutter about the age of 20, it's literally I, I had just become a person of faith at the be, about the age of 18, 19 years old. And um, I was up one night, or I was asleep one night, woke up, and the TV was on, and this man was just teaching on this topic of a guy in the Bible named Moses. And he was just talking about how uh, Moses was a stutterer. I never knew that. And I jumped mm-hmm. up, I grabbed my Bible, and looked for that particular place in the Scripture where it talked about, you know, Moses been a stutterer, and I was so amazed by that. I'm like, wow, 
somebody who I can relate to. Um, and also, mm-hmm. let me add, I used to go to the nursing home five days a week in in Jacksonville at this time, and that was my way of um, of just being away from people who would judge me on my stutter. So I volunteered four or five days a week at the nursing home. They never judged me there. But one day that same week after hearing that, I found myself in a conversation with some of my family and friends, and they were talking as they normally do. But the difference this time was I began to engage in the conversation without stuttering. And I didn't even pay any attention to it until one of the persons in the conversation said, Corey, you're not stuttering. Oh, my God, I'm not stuttering. And I just began to keep on talking at Listen, I preached my first sermon literally four or five days later at that same nursing home. I remember the scripture today. It's Philippians chapter 3, wow. verse 1. Now, I'm 45 years old now. This was about 20 years wow. old. My first sermon in that nursing home from, from Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 was, Finally, my brethren, rejoice. Um, and, and, and ever since then, you cannot shut me up. I, I, got, something to, I got something to say. So, so I don't know if I have a strategy to help them from stop stuttering, but I will say if a person desires to speak and to speak in a more public way, then number one, they really have to have a desire to do it. You've got to have a desire that I really want to desire. I really have a desire to speak. And then once you have that desire to speak, you've got to get disciplined and, and have the determination to do some things to make you speak better. Even if that means I don't like speaking publicly, let me accept some public speaking opportunities, even if that means I'm reading something out loud, even if it means I'm engaging in a conversation publicly that I normally would not engage in. They have to desire it. They have to put themselves in a disciplined environment that will cause them to have to speak, and that will openly open up the door where you can find yourself on some public platform speaking about preferably your favorite subject matter. Wow, that's really good. That's a powerful story. Um, you know, I want to go back to the faith part of it. Uh, yeah, so, you know, Moses was a center and God so used him. And so I think um, it's just powerful the way that you, you know, like you said, you woke up and you actually saw that on, on the television. And so that kind of helps you. But one of the things I, I know God always seems to kind of, I mean, we can't track him or trace him, but one of the things I know he loves to do is, you know, especially persons who are new in the faith. <laughs> I find right. that he tends to, um, you know, do certain miracles for them. Yeah. So quickly, you know, to kind of get them in, reel them in, and it's like, well, as you begin to mature, <laughs> the meat, he's taking a little while, you know. <laughs> so, you know, right. I think that is really good um, for you, but it also is a testament because, you know, even now you're pastoring. And so yeah. what better way or to, to have a story that persons can actually identify with? Because, um, you know, a lot of times when you talk about persons who are pastoring or ministry, people always believe you always had it all together to be able to hear that, you know what, you know, whenever you speak, whether it be in the ministry sector or even the marketplaces, the marketplace side, like people are able to see and hear your story, your testimony, that, hey, you know, I wasn't always as um, powerful speaker. I used to stutter and I used to have the confidence level, you know. So I think that is so um, amazing. And then you said that you have to have the desire um, for it, for speaking, uh, definitely determination. And then, like you said, the, the discipline. Um, a lot of people desire to speak, but a lot of people are afraid to speak, right? Yeah. Um, but I think it's all because we, uh, well, a few things. I think some people don't like for me, for example. I don't like my voice, but I still go ahead and I speak anything, right? <laughs> Some people say, there's nothing wrong with I'm like, I hate 
yeah, like I, I hate listening to myself. Like I don't, you know, I don't play back messages. Like I, I really don't, I don't do it. Even though we should, just so you're able to get better. But I just really don't like. That's uh, one of the things for me. If I be transparent, but I still push past what I need to do so I can do whatever God has called me to do. So I think that's so amazing. Uh, some of the things that you shared. Yeah, definitely. and I'm gonna add to that. It, it is important that we that we do listen to ourselves. It is one of the greatest hindrances from a person becoming not only a, a, a effective speaker, but it also hinders them from just really even getting on the platforms that they desire because when a person hears you speak, yes, we, yes, I get doors of opportunity to speak all the time, but there are some doors I really want to walk in that I believe in order for me to walk in those particular doors of opportunity to speak, it demands that I come up to another level in my um, um, ability to communicate. You know, John Maxwell says, everyone mm-hmm. communicates, but few connect. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. and yes, and so, and, and so when it comes to us really wanting to perfect our voice, our speaking, our public and professional speaking, unfortunately, but fortunately, it is mandatory <laughs> that we go back and listen to those messages so that we can hear you know, those inflections yeah. in our voices or the lack thereof that will help us better craft our messages, our top topics, our, 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 our subject matters, whatever you call your, your speaking um, things. But that, that is extremely important that we must, an individual, if they're going to, if they desire to be a better speaker, they must be willing to um, get over that uncomfortableness of listening to ourselves. Yeah. That's something that I gotta continue to do because I'm like, Lord, I really don't like those. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I still struggle with. It. I still struggle with it today. So I get it. I get it. Yes, it's amazing. But definitely, thank you for that. Um, you know, good advice, and definitely something that I will. I know for me personally, I know those who are listening in, they would apply it. But me personally, I'm also going to um, continue to apply some of the advice that you have given as well. So of course you are you are in leadership. Um, you're like you mentioned, you're a Maxwell leadership coach and everything else. And then of course you're a, you're a pastor. So when did you know that you were called to leadership? When did I know I was called to leadership? You know, I I I think at a very young age I just didn't. I, the light didn't click on that what you're doing is leadership. I think I was always doing it. So let me give a, a, a what I think is a perfect and prime example of when I can look back now in hindsight. I couldn't do it in real time, but looking back in hindsight, um, now I've been 45 years old. I was raised in Jacksonville, Florida by my mom for a season. My mom ended up getting addicted to drugs. Um, I recall, matter of fact, just because we're talking about it now, I recall one time it was I – my sister, my brother, my mom, we were living in, in an apartment. I remember one time in this apartment, very fully furnished apartment. We lived on, on, on government assistance, but it was a very nice apartment that my mother had set up. And Christmas season was there. And I recall very vividly, even as we speak now, about maybe 12 years old at the time, that the Christmas tree was up, the house was fully furnished, there was gifts all under the tree. I came home from one day from school, and everything in the house was gone. The Christmas tree was gone. The gifts under the tree were gone. The furniture were gone. Everything was uh-huh. gone. And 
I, I, I can still remember how that moment made me feel that, what is, what's going on here? And I opened up a door that was under the staircase in our apartment, and even in that moment, I, I knew I was about to see something that I didn't want to see. And it was my mother in the closet. She was just, just shaking back and forth from being so high on crack cocaine. Uh, so fast forward from that moment there, I moved in with my grandmother in the same house. It's about 15 or 16 of us living in a three-bedroom house. It's not a mansion. Uh, and there was abuse. There was poverty. There, that, there was so much chaos in this house that I found myself in my ninth grade year at this time when we moved there. I made straight, straight F's the first nine weeks, straight F's the second nine weeks, straight F's the third nine weeks. I saw myself headed in a horrible, bad direction. And I said to myself, Corey, if you don't get out of here, you you're going to be like them. And them was referring to my family members who was just doing everything under the sun uh, that I did not want to do. So I picked up the phone. I called my dad, who was living in Miami at the time, and I asked him, could I move there? And after after that conversation, um, he agreed. We, I did just that. I moved to Miami, got my grades back up, and ultimately graduated on time. I said that to say this here, that, at the age of about 13, I think it was, when I made that decision to call my dad, when I look back at it now in hindsight, that was probably the first leadership decision I had to make because a little boy at that age should not have had to make a decision to leave this environment to go to another environment because he felt like he would be a failure in life. And so for me, I think that was the catalyst, and I'm still actually, believe it or not, I'm still unpacking that thought, even even as we speak now in this season here, is what made me as a kid pick up that phone, call my dad, and say, hey, this ship, my life is going in the wrong direction. And I believe, based on your question, that that's when my leadership journey began there. It, it, it began in an a unorthodox way, if you would say, mm-hmm. not in an organization, not in a church, not in one of my coaching sessions, not someone hearing me speak, not me giving great advice, but me making a personal decision over my own life that I have to lead myself because no one else is going to do it. So I would say it began there for me. Wow. That's, I mean, that's really good, you know, in terms of you, you know, really overcoming all of those obstacles. And like you mentioned, I mean, to be that young, having to make that type of decision could be stressful, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> on a child, I mean, I can only imagine all the feelings that you were um, experiencing during that time. You know, you're seeing family members do certain things. And then here it is, you probably want to stay with them, but then you know if you stay there, what would happen? But then, you know, you have to move. And so, I mean, it's, I think it's a very powerful, powerful testimony. And, um, I mean, we definitely could see the leadership decision, because that's a tough decision, and leaders have to make a very tough decision. But you said yeah. something in there um, where you talk about self-leadership, right? Um, and I kind of wanted to just kind of put a pin in there for a little bit. When you talk about self-leadership, right, I want to know, like, how important is it to the success of a leader's journey? You know, now that you're older, um, because, you know, a lot of people, they, they have leadership or they have this definition or this mindset that leadership for some is one of people serving me versus me serving people. Um, 
And a lot of people, you would have just say from a young age that, hey, I'm able to lead myself, right? We know that a right. lot of leadership has to do with self-leadership. And, you know, that's kind of one of the things as well John Maxwell teaches us. Um, he doesn't always call it self-leadership, but, you know, based on the things that we that he teaches, we know that's really self-leadership. And so how important is self-leadership to the success of any leader's journey, whether you are an emerging leader, even a senior leader? Because some senior leaders, for some reason, they kind of almost feel like, hey, I've gotten to the top now. I don't even have to do certain things anymore. Um, Talk to us a little bit about that. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So, again, another great question. I love great questions. so, of course, you know, John Maxwell is the guru when it comes to leadership, and he uses this thought, this statement of leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And so when you talk about self-leadership, I, I think it's important that one first, uh, you don't have to be perfect. It's not about being perfect, uh, but one must learn how to truly lead themselves if they're going to effectively lead others. And so I, I I I think I am the best experiment, if you would. I think I am the best person to practice all of my leadership ambitions on because watch this here. If I want to teach others how to lead something great, whether it's their family, whether it's themselves, whether it's an organization that they lead, they must first learn how to lead themselves because I can easily tell someone else what to do, but Am I Mm -hmm. able to execute those same things? And I'm not talking about necessarily saying the same Ds, but I'm saying when it comes to to the spirit of it and the heart of it. Venus and Serena Williams are tennis players. They have coaches. Um, But I promise you their coaches were not better than them, but that did not disqualify the coaches to be their coaches. And so their coaches were in their life for a reason. And I often find it amazing that a lot of these coaches who have coached a lot of, whether it's in the business world, whether it's in the the athletic world, whether it's in the finance world, a lot of the people who's coaching these individuals, even singers and things of that nature, people who coach people how to sing better, some of them cannot even sing or 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 write a book, or lead a business as good as the person that they're coaching, but they got some skill sets that are transferable. Mm -hmm. So it's about principles. It's about transferable principles that we are practicing, even in the little thing. Can I lead in my marriage? Because if I can lead in my marriage, I can lead in a business. Now, I may not have the calling to lead in a business, but those practices or those principles in the spaces I am called to do it in, I can execute that to my Fullest. So I believe it is important that people learn how to master master learning how to lead themselves. And if you can lead yourself, you can truly lead others. You know, one of my my favorite things to do, or some of my favorite people to speak to on leadership, is businesses. It is organizations. And as you and I both know, we have come out of two or three of the most craziest years of our life. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. a lot of leaders, if you would, they knew how to lead based on the old playbook. But Mm -hmm. this new world order, if you are, has upset the game. It has upset the playbook that we were used to running. And many people are running back to the playbook and say, what do I do next? Unfortunately, the playbook in many cases 
is irrelevant now. That that mm-hmm. playbook is outdated. And so um, me, I consider myself the type of a thought leader who has the ability, particularly in time of crisis. I, I shine in time of crisis. I, I love pressure. And, again, I think it goes back to that kid in me <laughs> that was forced <laughs> to figure out how to navigate, to get out of this crisis so that I can survive. So I often tell businesses and I would tell individuals as well that they have to be strategic. They have to lead boldly if they're going to transform themselves and if they're going to transform the organizations that they are called to lead. Wow. That's really good. You've got a whole um, lot of what you shared. Now, you talked about, um, you know, in terms of you leading best in times of crisis. And I do believe sometimes or a lot of times a lot of the leaders or persons who are leaders tend to emerge a lot during crisis, right, because you're talking about the you also shared about the old playbook that a lot of people and I and I I have seen them going back to that. And I think a lot of it too has to do with some person not really wanting to change or adjust. You know, people don't like naturally humans don't like change, right? But if you're going to be able to adjust, you really cannot go back to that old playbook. And I do see even now that a lot of leaders are struggling because like you mentioned, they want to go back to the old. And I'm like, we have a new normal now. <laughs> so right. there's no way you can go back to the old thing and expect for it to work. Now, you probably could go back to it and try to make some tweaks or changes, but not to, you know, to see how to build upon it, but not to be able to go and try to do that exact same thing and expect for that to work. And I see a lot of leaders are struggling, and um, you know, they're definitely uh, trying to do that. And then you also shared about, which I think is really amazing, you shared about how, you know, a lot of persons are like the the greats out there. Um, They have coaches who may not be better than them, but they have, you know, the transferable principal skills that they're able to to utilize to help them. And I think that is a good point that you made because a lot of people sometimes, they always feel as though that if I'm not, great like this individual or the person that I desire to coach and I can't coach them. Or some people have the mindset of, well, persons can't coach me if they haven't gotten to a certain level, right? Um, right. And I think it has a lot to do with just mindset and limited beliefs and just so much more. And so I'm glad that you um, actually shared that. But I want you just to provide some encouragement to someone who may be tuning in or they're listening and they say, you know what, um, I want to coach people, but I, or, you know, speak or whatever it may be, but more so, let's just say, for example, the coaching is also something that you do, right? Um, but if, they're, if they desire to be a coach and they feel like certain things they don't have or, you know, I need a certain amount of money to coach, for example, let's just say, for example, millionaires or whatever it may be, I just want you just to provide some encouragement for them so that they're able to, you know, walk boldly in whatever calling that they believe that God is calling them to do. Yes, and so whether they on the side, um, whether you, if you're listening right now, whether you're on the side of feeling like you need a coach or you want to coach someone, I personally believe, particularly the higher you want to go in life, in your career, in your marriage, with your relationship with your son and or your daughter, whatever that relationship is, if you want to build a winning relationship with someone, I believe, even if it's with your client, I believe it is important that we are constantly being coached. So I'll start number one with that. Be coachable. Be the person 
who is coachable because I, I want to coach other people. It, 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 I need to ask myself, am I willing to be coached? Am I willing to listen to people who give me advice and tell me I need to alter this, I need to alter that? So, number one, put yourself in the posture of being a coach because I believe that we, we attract, in many cases, we, we attract people into our space, into our world Based on our thoughts, I believe mm-hmm. thoughts are powerful. I think about just going to the book of Genesis when God spoke everything into existence. He didn't, for the most part, he didn't do anything. He He spoke everything into existence. I think about um, what, what Scripture says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I recall one Scripture where he tells us the power of life and death is in our tongue. Going back to Genesis, he framed the entire world with his words. And so our, our thoughts, our thoughts are powerful because they have the ability to become our, our actions. And so again, as a man thinketh in his heart, the thing that you think about the most, if you think about failing the most, guess what? You're going to end up failing. If you think about succeeding the most, you're going to ultimately end up succeeding. And if you if you think about being a coach or being a better coach, ultimately you're going to open up the doorways to to bump into those opportunities, those things you need to do to become a better coach, whether that is finding a coach, an executive coach who can coach you to become better. So I just really would love to encourage you on today to start start with yourself, develop yourself, coach yourself, uh, um, take yourself on a personal journey of discovering. Go back to that little kid, if you would, in you and find out, and I'm not saying this deep dive of, of, of freeing yourself from limiting thoughts or limiting things that happen to you that when you were two or three years old, I often tell people, they say, hey, what, what's the difference between coaching and counseling? And coaching is all about looking forward, but counseling is yeah. about looking backwards. And I, I've, I've had clients before, and they're constantly, they want to be coached, but I find myself in the conversations with them. They're constantly going backwards. I'm like, man, they got some pain, some mm-hmm. some unsolved issues back there, and they want to go forward. But before we can even go forward, I need to stop long mm-hmm. enough and let's and, and let's deal with that. Have you ever been there before? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to go back because I'm always to go forward. Yes, yes, yes. Yet they want to move forward, but they're constantly talking about the pain of the past. And the sad thing or the interesting thing is sometimes they don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. They they did not even realize it. And and it takes someone like me and you to interrupt their 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 conversation, their thinkings and say, Hey, do you realize what you're doing? Do you realize every time we talk about that, you refer back to that? And they'll say things yeah. like, I didn't realize that. I didn't know I was doing that. And so, again, some things require you to go to counseling, but then there are some things that doesn't necessarily require deep counseling. It just requires someone to acknowledge what you're doing and give you permission to move past that, and then we, we can shift into coaching. But if we keep going back to that, that's a cue to me that you, you need some deeper, uh, some deeper counseling in that particular area there. So I don't think I answered your question, uh, but I, I, I hope that probably took us a different way to ultimately give the listening audience what they need on that question. I think it, it does because, you know, how you just explained even the difference between, you know, even though it's small, the difference between um, counseling and coaching, and some people really don't know. 
You know, they think the two right. are the same and it's really not, you know. <laughs> I tell people, no, absolutely. You, could have a, you, you could have a therapist, you could have a coach, and definitely you need yeah. Jesus. <laughs> you know, like all of these three, all of yeah. these three help you, to be, help you to be a better person. And then, like you said, you know, um, some people, they always want to go backwards. So, of course, if you're always, if you're someone and you're listening and you always want to go backwards, you need to seek a therapist. You need to get on someone's couch and let them help you to, to do that. You know, because it's, it's really difficult, like you say, it's really difficult to coach someone forward if they're just trying to go backwards. And, I, and sometimes I do say that sometimes you do need to go backwards to deal with yeah. whatever interruption that happened or that's preventing you from being able to move forward. And so it's okay if you have to go backwards sometimes. You know, yeah, but just you know, know you need to, you know, go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm going to say there was a guy named uh, Marshall Goldsmith, and he wrote a book called um, What Got You Here Would Not Get You There. And mm-hmm. I think about people who, who, particularly if they're in an organizational-type leadership, whether they're pastoring, whether they're starting a coaching business, whatever the specificity of the organization that they are leading or they are a part of, that they they cannot even reach the depths and the levels of success that is locked up on the inside of them because they're constantly trying to move forward using an old mindset. Again, what got us here cannot and will not get us there. I think about our church, for example, right now. I moved to Savannah almost 10 years ago. Didn't know anyone in this city. It was me, my wife, and our kid at the time. Again, didn't know anyone in the city. I had a vision and a dream that was in my heart that I believe that God sent me here to start this church that will have hundreds of people in multiple locations. You fast forward now nine, almost 10 years Later, we're averaging a, a little bit over 500 people that shows up to our service on Sunday morning. We're, we're in this wow. interesting space right now where we're altering our service times because we're, our second service is averaging about 400 and something people. And so we're trying to come up with some strategic ways to stimulate growth in the first service before we add a third service. So I say, you know what? After getting counsel and advice from other leaders who's ahead of us, they say, you know what, shift your service time. Shift from 8.15 and 10 o'clock to 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. That's going to force everyone to have to make a decision to shift to either the 9 o'clock or the 11 o'clock service. And I'm convinced that we just opened up the door for a strategic growth spurt. And so we talk about coaching and counseling. I'm the type of person, I'm just being honest and frank right now, though I'm a pastor, full-time ministry, I can counsel. I've been told that I'm good at counseling. I believe that I am. I do believe it's part of one of my gift traits. I don't like doing it. (laughs) It's not what I run to, even though I get testimonies and results back into people. My passion is coaching, and let me tell you why, because I just love helping people move forward. I, I, that's why I thrive at. I, I don't like pacifying people. I don't like babying people. I do believe that people need counseling. It's, 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 it's part of me where I'm moving away from because my bent, my, my passion is dealing with people who's now ready to move forward. So, yes, I do a little counseling in my sessions to get people to move past that. 
But if it goes deeper, then I will refer them to someone on my counseling team to handle the counseling because I believe you need a coach if you're stuck. You need a counselor if you're hurting. And you can need both sometimes. You can need both sometimes. Organizations need counselor and coaches. I'm dealing with a team right now of about 15 individuals who's hired me for a full year uh, of coaching. They're paying me a pretty penny for one full full year to coach their C-suite, to coach their staff. And a lot of things I had unpacked the first month in January, there's some areas that I can't even coach them in. There's a level of counseling that needs to happen with some of the team members. There's hurt and unresolved issues of how the organization merged with another organization. And now you've got two, two leaders who, who, who see things different. They were CEOs of their own organizations, and now they merge these things together, and they don't see things the same way. So before I can move them forward, I have to pause with them for just a moment and help them deal with this transition that they have with him because they're dealing with what I call emotional and spiritual trauma from letting go of a business that they both own individually, and now they had to let it go. And so there's a grieving process, if you will, that they both need to go through in order for them to embrace what will be. I say this last thing here. In order for people, particularly when you lost something, whether you lost a loved one, whether it's the death of a dream, whether it's the death of a, a business, you have to shut the doors, whatever it is, in order for people to fully embrace what will be, they have to properly let go what was. And it's one of the reasons why we have a funeral, to help people process the loss, the death of a loved one. And if you don't go through that grieving process, you would never get to a point where you can embrace the new life you have to live. I hope that makes sense. That's good. You know, um, I mean, I, I, I mean, I just soaking it all in. I mean, I know this for the for the listening audience, but you know, I'm also here. I'm also here taking it all in. And I think that is, you know, so so good what you shared. You know, like you talked like you talked about, you know, the loss, and even the last part you shared about the grieving um, process, whether it's a business or whatever it is. And like you said, if people really and most people don't, it's it's hard to let go, right? Um, so you have to make a conscious decision to really say, hey, I'm going to let this thing go, whatever this thing is, so I'm able to um, effectively um, move properly, you know, so uh, be able to move forward. And then, like I said, again, you're breaking down more of the counseling and the coaching and then even just sharing that your passion is for coaching. I'm glad that you really were transparent with that because, you know, sometimes we believe as, as individuals that, you know, we could be good at doing a whole lot of things, but when you really look at it, there's only some things that we're really passionate about, right? So if you're yeah. not passionate about something, I mean, you could do it, but you're not passionate about it, I wouldn't advise for people really to do it because you're not going to really give it your all. Things that you're passionate about, you're going to give your all. But for you, like you said, okay, your desire, your passion is really for coaching, but, you know, if you need to break up that fallow ground from in, 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 in counseling, you could do that. Like you said, as long as there's anything too deep, <laughs> then right. you know, those are able to move forward. And so I just want to say even thank you for that transparency because, again, to hear that, you know, someone who's a, who I believe is a great leader, 
Um, just, you know, just by all of what I've seen, listening to you, just so much, I can say, wow, you know, this individual is a great leader. So even to hear that, you know, being at the place that you would be at, and then you, you yourself, you would talk about, you know, getting uh, coach, coach from other persons, and so coach from from under, from other individuals as well. And so to hear another leader saying that. Um, I think is amazing because, again, like I said before, and there are some people who have this pride, and I know leaders can get to a space if you're not careful, um, to have this pride in believing that, you know what, I don't need the help. When you know you died on the inside, you know, but you're allowing the pride to, to stop you from moving. And so I just want to say, you know, I'm just really grateful for the transparency uh, that you're sharing as we um you know, as we're going along with interviewing. So definitely thank you so much uh, for sharing yeah. for sharing. So you that. got my So you 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 ask see one thing about a good coach when you, when it's coaching, you ask a great coach asks powerful questions. So I spend a lot of time before I get before it's time to meet with a particular client or individual. And also you take time to really understand them because a good coach is all about not trying to put something in them. It's about getting something out of them. So when you're coaching individuals, it's, it's, um, I'm trying to pull out the answers that's already locked up on the inside of you. And I had a coach myself one time, maybe about two years ago. I, I love to cook. If you ever come to the States, you'll get a chance to just take some of my food. But I, I, I love to cook. I, I have a passion to cook. So much so that people would tell me, you need to start a restaurant. You need to start a business. And I'm big on presentation. I don't just want the food to, to taste good. I want to plate it. I want it to sit on the plate a certain way to make it say, oh, I want some of that. And I will always post my food on social media. I would just bother with people because I want them to just salivate over my food. And so during the midst of COVID, I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, go ahead and start my I'm going to start a meal prep service. I love to cook, start a meal prep service. And I did that. I thought that would be one great way for me to start this business because it's part of my passion and part of my calling to, to, to work in the food industry because I was almost on Chef, Gordon, Chef Gordon's Ramsey cooking network called The wow. Effort about three or four years ago. And so um, that's a long story there to tell you what happened with that. But nonetheless, there, there was a lot of things in my life that was pointing to this guy can really cook. People know I can cook. But I started that meal prep service, did it about three months and about, I think, really two months. Two months into it, I had a lot of customers. I was making maybe two to 300 meals every Friday and Saturday to drop off on Sunday. So I, I made a pretty good penny. But you know one thing I learned? I did not like doing that. I said, this mm-hmm. is not fun. <laughs> I don't like this here. And I learned a lesson. I learned that, yes, I love to cook. Yes, I got a passion to cook, but it's for me. It's for my family. Mm-hmm. It's for my friends. So I'm saying that to say just because sometimes we have certain gifts because it's our, it's, it's for us. It's our, it's, it's our hobby. It's our outlet. And we're not supposed to turn, we're not supposed to turn outlets into businesses. Because those outlets, then they begin to frustrate you. They're not fun. They're not enjoyable. And I learned from that that no one can convince me to start a restaurant or any type of meal service because I don't like feeding that many people. It's not as fun as 
sticks and food for me and my wife and my family or 10 to 12 friends at the house. And so I enjoy it. I have a passion to see my family and my friends eat my food, but I'm not supposed to monetize that. And so people have to be careful that they don't monetize their hobbies. They don't monetize the thing that is supposed to be in their life to bring them joy on a Friday on my days off where I can cook and make a meal to just make me happy and my friends happy. So um, I just really would like to encourage people on that, to make sure they don't take the thing that brings them joy and to turn it into a business because then it, at a certain point it can lose its joy. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for sharing that because I'm the same way. I like to cook, but I'm not interested in cooking in a restaurant or nothing like that. <laughs> I just wanted to do no, it. No, like no, you said, no. And, so and I had to do it, though. I had to do it because it would, it would have bothered me all my life that, man, I'm so good. I probably was supposed to do a restaurant. And now it would never it would never question my mind again, was I supposed to do a restaurant or a meal prep or whatever type of food business? No. I may do a cookbook maybe, but no. I won't invest a lot of energy in a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Man, listen, that is really good. Um we're almost out of time, but thank you uh definitely so much. Uh, just for sharing all the things that you shared. But one last thing I'm gonna ask you, um, as it relates to the whole city church. Um, and of course, you know, because you are a, you're also a pastor, what advice would you give to other leaders who are more or less, more or less ministry leaders who may be pastoring? You know, we talked about the old playbook, right? Uh, so what advice would you give to those ones who are pastoring and they are just struggling just a little bit with, you know, whether it's how do I gain, um, you know, more persons into the church? How do I get persons? Uh, interested in, you know, where it's coming to church or different ministries that may be in church, like what advice would you give to them just to be able to help to encourage them on to continue the good fight of faith, you know, what God has called them to? Yeah. So, and um, again, very, very good question. I deal with pastors on a daily basis who are struggling with getting people back into church, struggling with how to do church down, if you would, in this new world order that they got people a, a, a good remit back into the building. But there's a lot of things that churches must do to be able to serve this present age. It's a statement that we say here in the States, if you come from the old school church, to serve this present age by calling to fulfill. And when I think about that today, that when COVID came, if you would, it disrupted the way that we did things, not just with church, Mm -hmm. every institution that you can think of, whether it was religion, whether it's business, whether it's education, whether it is um, entertainment, whatever mountain of influence, if you want to call it that, all mountains of influence were impacted by COVID. And if you look back at it, all of these 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 institutions had to do things different. Schools did things different. As a matter of fact, so much so, a lot of the current systems that schools are doing now is different. Businesses are doing things different. But the church is always, it tends to be always the last group of people, the organization, the institution that tries to hold on to how we always did it. I think there's a statement mm-hmm. saying the the, the last words of a dying church is we always did it that way. And there's a lot of churches, there's a lot of individual ministries, paraministries, if you would, that they're still trying to hold on to how we always used to do it. And we have to be okay 
with doing doing a old thing a new way. If a lot of people had their way back in the days when we rode horses to get around, we would probably be riding horses today. But there was mm-hmm. a new way of doing the same thing. The goal was to get from A to Z. They did it that way on the horses, but now we're doing it in cars, and now we shift it from cars to planes. And so the churches, if there's any advice that I can give the churches today, they have to look for new methods and new models to take the church forward. There's a statement that says, in matters of style, swim with the current. And manners of principles stand like a rock. The word, the Holy Spirit, faith, those are principles. Those those things should never change, no matter what's going on. But when it comes to styles, when it comes to methods, we have to be willing to adjust, or we're going to lose a whole generation of people. Some churches I know, they refuse to do online giving. They refuse to do online services. Now, I'll say for us now, we just stop online services because we're using that as part of our strategy of getting more people back into the church. Now, I have some people saying I wouldn't do that, but I believe it is not only a practical strategy that's going to work for us, I also believe it is a prophetic thing for us as well. The Bible says that the sons of Issachar, they knew uh, the times of the season. They, they, They knew the times of the season, and they knew what Israel should do. I believe that spiritual leaders in this day and age, they must be both prophetic and they most they must mm-hmm. be both they they also must be practical. So you need to be both both prophetic and practical. What is God saying, and what are some practical things that I must do in this time frame that we are in? Because one scripture says in the book of Acts that the that that the children of darkness I think it's the book of Acts the children of darkness are so much wiser than the children of light, mm-hmm. and, and we can give away spiritual principles because sometimes we're being deep with the wrong things. The world takes so much of our stuff and use it and, and, mm-hmm. and we end up we end up being left behind, you know. And so yeah. so yeah, so 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 they need to be both both practical and prophetic. Don't be so deep that you miss some practical things that are sitting right in front of you. Um and they need to change before they have to. Change but before you have to. Don't be forced to change. Just make it a part of your culture and your lifestyle to always be willing to, not principles, not standards, but methods and processes and the way you do things. Be adjust with the times. That's okay. Character keep. Principles keep. Standards keep. Wow. That is amazing. You know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this entire interview. In my mind, I'm already thinking, okay, what can I get Pastor Curry on? Um, oh, you know, again, <laughs> so, you know, I thank you so much just for sharing, you know, all of what you said. I love the being prophetic and practical. I think the church has gotten the prophetic, you know, everybody wants to run off the prophetic, but there ain't much practical yeah. stuff happening. You know? So yeah. um, definitely, you know, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for this amazing uh, interview. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Of course, your transparency, your wisdom, your knowledge. Um, a lot of the nuggets that you dropped. I mean, like I said, I'm inspired, and I don't know how listening audience will be, um, or they are as well. But before we go, I just want you just to share, you know, your social media handles and different ways in which persons can connect with you or stay connected with you, or even if they decide to work with you. What are some of the, the ways and the methods that they're able to do so? Yep, they can follow me either on Facebook and Instagram at Corey Williams Live. That's Corey Williams Live. And they can also 
find my website, which is XL Leaders, X, X and X-ray, L is in um, love, then leaders, XLLeaders.com, and there you can get some free resources, information as it relates to all things leadership. One of my passions is to help people turn their barricades into bridges. So if you have any barricades in your life, you need to be pushed forward, you need to move beyond your excuses, you can definitely find some good resources and information on the website. Wow. Well, definitely, everyone, thank you for tuning in to today's amazing show. My special guest, Pastor Corey Williams. Um, be sure to join me every week for another episode of the Emerges Radio Talk. You know, this is the show where you'll be inspired to emerge, occupy, and take dominion. If this is your first time listening in, I pray it won't be your last. And, of course, you know, to my faithful listening audience, I love you all. And I cannot do this week after week. Um, without you, and if you desire to connect with me, you can do so on my Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, um, LinkedIn, under Tavira Johnson, or Dr. Tavira Johnson, as well as you can visit my website at TavaraJohnson.com. Everyone, have a wonderful evening and blessings. Thank you for tuning in to Emergence Radio Talk. For more information on Emergence Radio Talk, Emergence Mentorship Program, or Women to Women Mentoring Program, be sure to visit www.tavarajohnson.com. If you would like to be a guest on our show, email us at info at or follow us on all of our social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Periscope. That's Tavara Johnson. Stay connected and updated on all upcoming events. Until next time, thank you for joining us.